basically, yeah, like imagine walking into your favorite restaurant, like Firehouse Sub, scanning a QR code. Firehouse Sub has a landing page on our website. They come and with three clicks of a button, it's as simple as you click, you connect your Instagram and you get a caption, which reflects the brand narrative of the company, the hashtags, the mentions, um, and that's it. You promote, we verify it through our AI. So it's very scalable that way. Um, and we're actually, that's what helps us to tap into that nano influencer at scale is the fact that we're able to verify AI down to the fact is if you have that food in the photograph, we're actually able to really, really, really like go deep into that verification process. Um, and you get a reward in your email. Daniel, Yuri, welcome to the show. How are you guys? Great. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're talking to uh, innovation factory companies like yourself going to this uh, Lion's Lair pitch competition. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what's going on at uh, the Innovation Factory? Yeah, of course. I gotta, I'll start. Um, so, uh, I mean, where do you want us to begin? Like our story, how we got there or? Yeah, can you just give a quick intro about what AdMass is? Right. Um, you know, it, you know, you're, you're a startup right now and, uh, you know, what is the problem you're solving um, and what is your solution? Right. So ultimately what we're solving is we're helping customers. Uh, customers aren't getting a really good ROI, especially smaller companies um, that are starting out. The customer acquisition cost is really high. Mm -hmm. So our solution to this is we help them turn their existing customers into brand advocates so that every new customer that they acquire they can acquire cheaper. Um, for, for example, they can offer a discount and a repeat purchase. Uh, and at the same time, because it's driven by the whole word of mouth, uh, because we help them actually become brand advocates on social media, uh, it creates a better opportunity and it, it drives a lot more purchase. Um, it's, it's interesting because we, we came up with the idea because we realized that nano influencer is a new trend. So we built this automation technology that basically allows us to tap into nano influencing at scale and, and turn every customer into a brand advocate. Mm. So, okay. I love this brand advocacy, uh, uh, model because, uh, it's coming like the influencer economy and the creator economy is, is creating a more of a dynamic, uh, social system online. You know, people are becoming not just uh, consumers of content, but producers, and they want to interact more uh, with companies they like. So let's talk a little more about uh, the problems that like how you came upon it uh, as founders. Um, you know, what made you want to solve this problem? Well, I mean, me and Daniel, um, <laughs> we've known each other for a couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. We love hitting up restaurants. Um, it was funny. It was you who told me about Firehouse Subs, wasn't it? You told me first, uh, go, go to that yeah. place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Luxury software. Right. Um, so I went there with my dad and I was like, oh, my God, like people have to promote this on social media. Mm. Um, and I was thinking, OK, like I'm not actually uh, Daniel has quite a bit of followers. He has like a, like a couple thousand and he's a little bit more Instagram savvy. I'm mm. not so big on Instagram followers. Like I only have a couple hundred, but I would promote a company like Firehouse Subs on Instagram in exchange for, you know, a, a discount on their sub, a free sub. Um, and I started thinking, why isn't there a service that actually helps people do this? Like, mm -hmm. of course, free product samples are actually 57% of influencer marketing, according to Influencer Marketing Hub in 2021, was done by uh, via free product samples or a discount on products. So the majority of influencer marketing is done through products. 
But usually when you see it, it's bigger influencers. So why can't everybody, no matter how many followers you have on social media, be that tool for word of mouth promotion? Um, and we thought about it and that's where we started coming up. I mean, me and Daniel kind of went from there. Daniel is, is like a whiz. <laughs> so he right away was able to quickly put together um, like a plan for, for our MVP. And we launched it last June. Um, pretty exciting. Cool. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. So I, I love how organically that built up from uh, you liking this uh, firehouse subs. I, I've had that; it's pretty good. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're they're great subs. And you're like, how can I promote this and uh, facilitate that? So let's talk about that. Like, what is that? What was the current solution at the time? Like, um, there's no way for firehouse subs to track if you want to go out and like pretty much share uh, showcase them like like I have a partner program almost right so how will this work like firehouse like you, you would talk to firehouse subs and say hey do you want to launch a pro like a loyalty program and through that um, all people have to do is follow a link and firehouse subs will like know who's sharing that link yeah I mean just to clarify they're not a customer yet, <laughs> gotcha. yet. <laughs> but um basically yeah like imagine walking into your favorite restaurant like firehouse mm -hmm. Hub, scanning a QR code Firehouse Sub has a landing page on our website. They come okay. and with three clicks of a button, it's as simple as you click, you connect your Instagram and you get a caption which reflects the brand narrative of the company, the hashtags, the mentions, um, and that's it. You promote, we verify it through our AI. So it's very scalable that way. Um, and we're actually, that's what helps us to tap into that nano influencer at scale is the fact that we're able to verify AI down to the fact is if you have that food in the photograph, we're actually mm -hmm. able to really, really, really like go deep into that verification process. Um, and you get a reward in your email. That's pretty cool. So, you know, uh, as a customer will go into, uh, you know, a restaurant that has this, uh, scan the QR code, uh, connect it to my uh, Instagram account, just, uh, to the, like, it's as an integration, I'm assuming, right? I'm just agreeing to. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then the whatever picture I take afterwards and post, they would uh, they be notified about. Yeah, exactly. That's OK. So uh, I like how easier you're making this uh, kind of sound. So what have the reactions been from uh, uh, from brands and customers? So far, pretty good. Um, I mean, you've done a lot of serving with uh, Amy's mom and stuff. What, what, what did she say? <laughs> yeah, like we had a lot of, I guess, iterations because mm -hmm. the process used to be like so much longer. So mm -hmm. you land on the page and you have field A, field B, next page, field like we had too many. Like for us, for like we need all like it's, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. But like once you actually give it to someone that's actually going to use it, yeah. they're like, oh, no, this has to change. So we kept going to person to person and eventually we figured out like a nice flow that's going to be, that's very simple. So now it's only three steps. Mm -hmm. So someone can just land on the page, click on the button. It will automatically redirect them to Instagram, the authenticate. So they're authenticated person. So someone can't lie about being someone else. And then they can enter their email. Next thing you know, they see the whole offer. They click redeem. Well, they see the offer first. They post on Instagram They click redeem. And right from there and there, we do all like the backend checks and within minutes, they could receive that offer straight to their email. So that's the whole beauty of it. And we've been through iterations like that. And even still to this day, we're constantly getting feedback. And obviously it's, we love getting feedback. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's the worst, the better, because then those are like the true people that 
want like everyone will say they love your product but then they won't use it mm-hmm. so it's like the few people that say like this has to change and this has to change is like the gold mine because i forget someone said something like one bad review could mean like a hundred people are having that same issue mm-hmm. so that was like the that's that always stuck to my mind so whenever someone's like hey this is too like this takes too long to load or the way you're wording something is terrible we know that there's other people having that same issue. And we've noticed that even though we've changed it and improved it, instantly our conversions went up. So that's like the beautiful piece. And we use like all the analytic tools and the, the heat maps. And also we know how everyone interacts with everything. And we know like uh, what process customers drop off at. So then we focus on that area. So that's kind of, we've been, even to this day, we're still at the process. So it's not, it's not, there's never going to be a final piece, but it's always improvements to okay. something better. But yeah, I, I, I guess to answer your question a little bit more direct too, we, we recently yeah. had one of the customers say that we're better than the four other platforms that they've tried. And yep. um, Daniel's, uh, Daniel's girlfriend's mom actually tried the tried our platform and she absolutely loved it too. I, I forget her exact words, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. At first, it was like, what is this? And then after we did all the changes, she used it again. And it's like, whoa. So I can get all like all these coupons and this and this. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. So it's simplifying the message and simplifying the flow. Because we want everyone to use it. Not just like you have to be very techy or whatever. We want anyone to just pick up their phone. They see it in a restaurant. And they like, without even thinking, it's like ABC. And there's your reward. Hmm. So let's talk about like, you know, the steps that needed to build this thing out, right? Like you would identify this problem. You want to do this. Uh, you going out and saying, okay, I, I, we can probably get these customers. Uh, what does it take to build this kind of tool? Um, were you guys coding things already beforehand? Uh, do you know how to do this? Yeah. So I started programming, I'd say like six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago. So I started making off apps. So I was big in the app store. I ranked in the app store. And then I started making all these side businesses and side projects. So then I found a day job. So not only was I programming during the day, I was also making like projects at night, hopefully like making like the next like unicorn business, you know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just kept programming day in and day out pretty much and making apps on the side too for extra income. And then eventually, I guess Yuri joined in to uh, the same company I was working at. And then like we instantly clicked and we've just been working together. He approached me a few times about like making something. And then at first I'm like, I was just so focused on like my own apps. I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool. But like at the same time, like I wanted my own thing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he showed it to me, kind of sold me on it. And that's where we are today. But yeah, we've been coding this pretty much day in and day out. So technically nothing has been outsourced. Like we've built the whole product from ground up. Mm -hmm. So all the development, all the server stuff, like we've built everything. So that's, I guess, the beautiful thing about it too, because I guess I'll give a little tip. A lot of founders are non-technical. They want to start a business and let's say they want to change, like Mm -hmm. they want a new page or they want a new functionality. You need to now contact the development team, send a request in, then talk to their developers. The, The developers will implement the change. It'll come back to you. You review it. Something else is wrong. Then it's like a whole back and forth. So 
pretty much a change that we can do since we're developers can take us an hour or two and mm-hmm. it'll be done today comparing to like, let's say a competitor that will take him a week because they have to go through this whole development company so we can get stuff done so much faster. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the beautiful thing about, I guess, learning to code yourself. Yeah. So I guess anyone watching, if you're want to build a business, I'd say, learn you don't have to be the most amazing coder just enough to maybe do simple changes or get something off the ground which at the end the long run it will save you a lot of startup money because to outsource the developer could be very very pricey which that money could go towards something else maybe marketing yeah no, absolutely. And uh, what I love here is the dynamic between uh, um, a, a visionary founder and like a builder founder, right? That <laughs> duo between the two, right? It's like someone who's like sees something and figures, hey, this is a problem that we, uh, we can solve and this is how we should do it. And then goes out and have to convince people to come and join or uh, like take on this problem. And then the build is like, yo, I can, I, I can do this. You know, I can, I can actually build this out. And that dynamic to duo uh, kind of component, you know, we see it in a lot of companies and it's like the perfect kind of environment to be in because one person figures out, okay, how do we propel the company? How do we build the structure we need? And person, other person focuses on the product, right? They're just trying to get this thing honed down. How do you two, um, like, you know, determine, like, you know, how do you get around things? Like, Yuri, like, I'll, I'll ask you right from the beginning. It probably was pretty stressful or it's always stressful for the visionary founder who can't build, right? If you can't, <laughs> if you don't know how to code and you're relying on somebody else and you have this idea of like, oh man, I, want, I really want to build this thing out, but I can't. Now, how did you get in the mentality of, okay, uh, how can I deploy on this? Well, I mean, it was a journey, right? I, I, I kind of, I started my first business. I was 17. I've always had a passion for business, uh, but nothing really, you know, small businesses, a few, a few thousand here, a few there, like I sold a YouTube channel. Um, but then I wanted to, to have a tech startup and yeah, first question is like, okay, great. I have this idea. How the heck do I do it? And yeah. like, thankfully I met Daniel a couple of years ago, um, so right away, I'm thinking, uh, okay, I don't know how to build it, uh, but I know Daniel can. And I was already a developer. That's one of the reasons I started a development job is because mm-hmm. my goal was, okay, I want to learn development to build something. But really, that's not enough. Like, you can't just pick up development in the first year, like, create, like, your best website that's actually functional. I tried that. And Daniel, like, looked at my code and was like, okay, do you realize, like, a, B, C, like if somebody actually visits this, you're going to get hacked. All your money stolen. I'm like, oh, that's exactly, you know, but why are we making a good team here? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's ultimately like the dynamic, like you're mentioning, right? Is it like completing each other? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and not to sound too, um, too, too touchy feeling like we complete <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, that's how I feel, yeah. Yeah, me and my uh, co-founder, uh, we refer to uh, refer this uh, as our second, uh, well, uh, uh, what is it, marriage, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, like you know, being being founding partners, and uh, you know, it, it's a strange dynamic you got to figure out. Like, I love watching like documentaries or reading biographies about like founding of companies. Um, you know, especially because like you see the dynamic between peoples, right? Especially in the beginning, whereas like only a few minds, like all the entire company exists in the minds of a few people driving it. Right. There's very little else elsewhere, elsewhere. You remove one person and like a huge part of the company, the knowledge bank is gone. Right. And seeing how like companies kind of move, move like, you know, move, uh, you know, figure out, you know, what next has to stay, take in the early stages. I think it's so fascinating because it's really like a will between two characters trying to figure out how to, how to solve problems together. Right. So as you scale as a company and, and you build forward, like how do you decide what determine what uh, problems to take on? 
I think we kind of separate. Like, I think that's one of the things that, and tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I, I, I let you say what you think, Daniel, but um, I think honestly, we, we really click well together. Cause like, there's always, I mean, there are days when we disagree, obviously, like mm. some issues, but that's important too. If you're always agreeing together, that means you don't both have an opinion and it's important to have your own opinion because many times, like you hear the other person's opinion, you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? I didn't think about that. Um, at the same time, we kind of both stick to our specialties, if you will, like nine out of nine, not like more than nine, like 90% of the time, I'd say if Daniel says something development related, I pretty much always just agree. Sometimes I'll mm-hmm. like, I'll ask a question. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, what, what about this? And then he'll explain to me why. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then sometimes on the other side, if, you know, like something vision related or something, you know, something that I specialize a little bit more in, um, d- vice versa, like it works both ways, right? So. Mm-hmm. Daniel, what about you? Like being a technical side of the piece of things, like do you see the struggle in explaining technical uh, side of things, like limitations, like, like, oh, we can't build that yet or this is, it's going to take too long or we should do it this way. Like, you know, being a technical side of things, communicating that sometimes is one of the telltale signs of a good technical founder, founder is communicating technical design. Yeah, that's that's been a like in a way, it hasn't really been a struggle too much because Yuri is a developer himself too. So mm-hmm. I guess he, he he does know that like hey like x feature won't be done by tomorrow night when you still have stuff to finish off for today but yeah. talk like but there's still realistic goals like obviously we have like we have goals that we want like we have plans that like hey next week let's get this done we know it's going to be a struggle but it's pro- like it's very tough in a way to give like a like a very hard timeline of stuff because you're building a startup too while you're doing like another piece maybe something else is broken so you have to keep going back to like the the main core app like the production one that's already live on the server and it just it's tough but it's just something that you have to do and at the same time i guess we're building an app right now which is nice because we have a bunch of students working with us and I'm managing some of the students that are working on like the app piece with us. So we have to be controlling, I, we have to be controlling a bunch of like the development stuff, assigning tickets and giving them more of a, of a range. So it's like, Hey, you have this ticket done. It's going to, I'll say like, it'll take you two days. And like, from experience, I just know how long a ticket should be. So that's like the nice part about talking to someone who already has experience in development and is already in that world because mm-hmm. their expectations are more realistic compared to some clients that I've worked with that it's, hey, can you build me Google by next week? It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much, I'm, I think I'm butchering your question here. <laughs> no, not so much of the not so much of a question, but uh, you know, uh, more, more of your experience, right? Like, uh, I, I think the, the good thing is is that this dynamic has happened so many times and will happen again. It's uh, people trying to figure out, uh, you know, what roles to take within a company, how to get things kick started, who does what, right? And it's one of the most interesting things is that you know we have all these tools now, these productivity tools to figure things out. But it's up to you to string up how you're going to use it. You know, develop characters within the company, right? Like set up like you know we're going to do a stand up. 
this time every day. We're going to, uh, you know, do a workshop and uh, internally like uh, do hackathon uh, this time of day, like setting the culture of, of how you solve problems. Right. I think that's yeah. one of the interesting things about starting a company is not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. pro, you know, scrum, agile development and, yeah, the, the, the dreaming, but you know, um, Daniel mentioned about setting unrealistic timelines and sure I'm a developer, but how many times I set unrealistic timelines? <laughs> I do it like all the time. I think that's the dreamer part in me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I idolize Elon Musk in that way. He always says, right, do what you want to do in 10 years, say six months. You're not going to do it in six months, but at least, you know, you're going to do it a lot quicker. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll often, I'll, I'll often set very <laughs> unrealistic expectations too. So. And there's yeah. a lot of like unexpected stuff that like comes mm -hmm. along the way too. Mm -hmm. So it's, you could say that you want, let's say a new, let's say step added to one of your forms, but it's, you could say like, Hey, this might take me a day or two, but once you actually start digging in, it's like, Hey, this will actually take me like about a week to do. Cause they have to modify like five other things in the system and test it. And even from experience, it's not worth rushing something just to complete it, to push it out which you're just going to be set. Like you're setting yourself up for failure pretty much is what I'm trying to say. Cause the minute someone in public touches it, it's broken. Once a site breaks for someone in like on the public side, they're not going to go back and, you know, two hours later and try it again. And then tomorrow, they're not like the minute something breaks, sometimes they just leave. And that's kind of like the harsh reality, but it's better just to take your, be fast doesn't have to be like, you know, tested from every angle for a month, like 10 times tested because it's a startup. You have to be pushing stuff over. But enough that it's tested, it doesn't break, push it out. And the minute you get a bug, like we're on this like ASAP, we get alerts to like our phones and emails. So if it's like a very severe bug that it's like, hey, the site's broken, like no one can actually visit like the profile page mm -hmm. and everyone's trying to visit like the pro like we're on this like right now. <laughs> like this is like the first priority that comes. So that's kind of, I guess, management too. We're always checking like bugs. We're always checking like what's on our to-do list. Maybe if like we're trying to prepare for some type of meeting with some client, uh, if there's anything like we have to fix up or anything that they could be interested in. So we're constantly kind of all over the place, but mm -hmm. We have Jira tasks. So I don't know if you know about Jira, but no, it's, like a, it's, a, it's like a whole board that you can assign tickets to people and then okay. you can have sprints and epics. So we have all these sprints that we kind of set up for ourselves and then like the tasks that we have to complete within like each week. And then we kind of manage each other. And obviously like sometimes, sometimes if I need help, I'll ask Yuri and like vice versa, but we're in it together and it's been a, Fun journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, one of the also the struggles of building like a, a fast business um, is like the, the pressure to rapidly scale. Right. Um, you know, let, let's talk about that. Like, what, like after you have launched the first version, uh, did you feel like a rapid urge to like go out and get a whole bunch of users or did you want to field test this? Like, how did you go about into testing the market? Yeah, I mean, we launched in June 2020, right? Um, and mm -hmm. the first thing was to get user feedback. The problem is we launched as a marketplace. Now, we've changed our model a little bit uh, because now it's more linear, right? Our clients, companies are turning their customers into brand advocates more so. So that's one of the 
ways that their customers become nano influencers. But the first eight months, we, we had to get the supply. It was a pure marketplace kind of format. So we figured out a bunch of ways to reach out to influencers at scale. Within eight months, we were able to build up a marketplace of 150,000 influencers. Um, and that's where we were lucky. We got published in things like Hamilton Spectator, uh, et cetera. And that's exactly when Daniel was saying, too, we, we had somebody on our chat because we have a chat. And somebody's like, oh, hey, you know, I saw you in the Toronto, uh, in Toronto Star um, and they were experiencing a bug. We were lucky that that person actually ended up coming back, spending money. But nine out of ten times, like they don't come back. So but we had to hit it right. Mm. Once we had the supply, we had to hit the market. We had to get a lot of user feedback. Um, and over that eight months, we were con mm. consistently testing it with people, getting user feedback. Um, now we're lucky. We have some good testimonials. We have a, a nice group of um companies that have tried our platform and we're really close with. So if something's wrong, um, and thanks to our accelerators too, we, we've gotten a lot of companies through our accelerators because we're we're part of the Forge, we're part of the Communitech, we're part of uh, Innovation Factory. Um, it helped us really reach companies that are giving us a lot of advice. Um, and, and those are like the best clients. I mean, they're not necessarily mm -hmm. going to, um, you know, uh, be the best kind of acquisition um, signal, like how you acquire customers because it's through partnerships accelerators. So it's not necessarily that sales funnel determinator, but at the same time, there's like one of the best user feedbacks because they're so open. They're part of that community, the early startup. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, we're consistently, as Daniel mentioned, like we're pushing changes on a daily basis. We're constantly still iterating. Um, you know, the, the list of updates we have to do is like this big, <laughs> you know, um, and it's just filling that pipeline with improvements. Cool. I mean, I love this uh, dev cycle you got going on. You know, you're definitely uh, seem like a technically driven team. Um, let, you know, let's talk about uh, the nuances of, of selling this because um, uh, especially restaurants are such a hard market to sell to because they have such low margins that they're very, yeah. very unlikely to adopt new ways and new processes because, uh, you know, they're laggards. But uh, the COVID has propelled them to radically change. There's completely new models of ghost kitchens now. There's like, um, all these different, uh, you know, more, uh, pop-up shop kind of, uh, kind of, kind of uh, materials, companies that are restaurants that completely exist on like, uh, you know, uh, on, um, uh, delivery tools, right, on Uber Eats and uh, DoorDash, you know, the, with the rapid shift of everything going on, you know, uh, how has it affected you? Has it been a, a way for you to enter the market really quickly or has it been a struggle? Like, how's that been? I mean, sales, sales related, it's all been a struggle. I'm not going to lie. You know, being a pandemic baby, it's tough. Yeah. Um, as far as the restaurants, it, it was kind of a chicken, like um, a pro and con with the with the restaurants, because from one perspective, for a while, restaurants were closed. There's no business. Hmm. But now we notice they're so adapted to using QR codes Yeah. with the, you know, the COVID testing and the scanning of the menus. And it's almost like, look, you're already doing QR codes. Why don't you integrate us into into your systems? Um, and then we're able to create email lists for you. We're able to, you know, create content for your company. We're able to do so much for you. Um, that said, we, we were mostly the first six months and we're still mostly focused on the e-commerce industry. Um, cause th there is, you know, restaurants are still struggling. That's the reality of it. And while our solution is there, e-commerce is booming and that's kind of been primarily focused, focus of ours. Uh, but even e-commerce, like e-commerce is actually suffering a lot because of the supply chain issues right now. Um, so, I mean, you're always affected by the, the circumstances, the, the, the world surrounding it, right? Like the economic mm -hmm. factors. Um, and 
I guess those are the pros and cons. Uh, but with e-commerce, it really jives well with the e-commerce because we can turn all their email lists into brand advocates. So it's a very, it's something that they already collect. Every e-commerce company, you go on there and it's like, give us an email for X, Y, Z. Like they're always collecting these emails, whether it's during checkout or prior to. Um, so why not leverage those? Right. Um, and ultimately that, that's how we've been connecting it as a sales cycle. That's been the strategy that's working. Uh, because it's, again, turning something they already have, something they're already focused into just an, an, an extra promotional opportunities. And they don't even have to spend anything up front other than a small fee for us, right? Um, in a competitive side, it's about like a 60 to 1 to the regular influencer marketing. So it ends mm -hmm. up being a lot more cost effective in that scenario. Um, that's kind of the sales journey there. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to skip back to um, that influencer marketplace you built out. 150,000 influencers. Um, that's a large number. Um, what does that look like? Like, how did you go out and accumulate all these people and uh, start figuring out how to coordinate them? Daniel built a search engine. <laughs> okay. It was a really, really good search engine. Uh, we kind of thought about how to do it. And then Daniel came up with this genius idea. Um, kind of, uh, we built a search engine and where we were able to, uh, automate the email to those influencers because the thing is influencers are pretty active all over the web. And if you know where mm. to look, you're able to collect all this data and then from there, just reach out and have them register. So wow. I'll let you talk about that more, Daniel. Sorry. I kind of <laughs> jumped in there. <laughs> Oh, did oh, you freeze? So I'm, I'm cutting out. Yeah, uh, Daniel, we're getting a, a low internet signal from you, but um, it's still recording locally. Uh, if you so, can still hear us, uh, you, you can uh, just continue. I'm back. I no, you're. I just missed like your last like three sentences. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, basically, I was just talking about how you built a scrape uh, the uh, search engine, and you were finding um, all those influencers, uh, and then how we were automating the email marketing through that. Yeah, so we built that. Well, I guess I kind of built that. We accumulated like all these influencers and then we like we pretty much segmented them based off most of the influencers that we have are from Canada and United States. So then from there, we were able to kind of segment based off categories. So we kind of put them in like what categories that they belong in. And then the beautiful thing is on our marketplace, we built all these filters. So when someone actually views the marketplace, they can search for these influencers mm -hmm. for specific keywords, maybe, you know, gender, whatever, like follower type. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other fields. And then once you click search, we would filter out and then you can actually contact that person directly on our website and we'll email them directly. And then if they respond back, if they want to do a promotion, They'll reply back to you and then you guys start talking. I love that. So cool. So you, you build this marketplace, you got the influencers. Was it was the strategy to use them to like entice or start to sign up to your tool? Um, find brands you like. <laughs> now it's easier, right? Because when you have mm -hmm. a brand, then now we can invite them using kind of the invitation right okay look there's okay. a brand abc that matches you yeah um so because we have like a really big database and then from that people are registering when, when we contact them via email so now when we see that a brand registers and brand says okay i'm looking for abc uh we just match it up and we reach them out and we email them so now there's a bit more leverage but i mean then that's that's the biggest thing in marketplaces right some we've talked to some investors and they're like are you insane 
Mm-hmm. Like that's probably one of the hardest things to hear. Like you're talking to these people, you're prepping this pitch for days, you know, 20 iterations, boom, draft, you hit it. And they're looking at you like you are insane because you're mm-hmm. trying to build a tech company. That's a MarTech company. That's a marketplace. It's basically red flag, red flag, red flag. Like, so <laughs> that's kind of why we switched to the, the linear model a little bit more because that mm-hmm. chicken and egg, nobody likes it. Um, and so cherry yeah. on, oh, I was going to say cherry on top is it's in a pandemic too. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I mean, marketplaces are notoriously tough, um, you know, dual side marketplaces. Um, and I think it's smart to, I think, stay away from marketplaces <laughs> as much as you can. Um, so, you know, pursuing the linear model, I, I think uh, might be more too. And so let's talk about uh, next steps. Like, what does the future look like, you know, uh, w- with this kind of solution? You know, where is the creator economy going? What does influencers got to do with that, uh, with, with that right? Like, uh, what do you guys see uh, is going to happen? Uh, like in the post-pandemic? I'd like to think we're ahead of the trend. <laughs> mm. um, no, honestly, we do a lot of research, right? Like we spend hours kind of looking at uh, all kinds of statistics. I mean, Influencer Marketing Hub is a good yeah. one for that. Um, and we see it as going towards nano. The progression has already been, it's, it started with mega, you know, originally was celebrities, then influencer hit. And that, that's been around for like a decade now. So it's been around for a while, even longer than that, if you're talking about bloggers. Um, then, you know, 2016, 2017, the micro hit really, really hard, right? Mm. Now the transition is towards the nano influencers. Um, the other huge progression, uh, and we see that, I mean, even Facebook and Instagram are dedicating a billion dollar budget to content creating. Uh, there's a huge shift to content creating. Like, why is everybody saying content creator, creator, TikTok, YouTube? They're all calling them creators and not calling them influencers, because it's about the authenticity. So mm-hmm. UGC, user-generated content, is ultimately what drives the highest number of uh, conversions. Because mm-hmm. nobody wants to see the same repeated ad all the time. That's one of the reasons there's ad blindness. When you're consistently exposed to the same thing all over, over and over, like it might work on the radio because you start humming that song. But when you see it through a brand, like a, a banner, you just start ignoring it, right? Mm-hmm. Like 90% of banners are now ignored. Um, not even saying that 45% of people are using ad blockers, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why social media companies are switching to creator marketing themselves too. Um, that's really where we see the industry going. The nano way, um, the, uh, you know, UGC way is it's a huge thing. Um, I'd, I'd say to sum it up, it's, it's kind of going towards that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I love this because like, uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, I love this fact that it goes down this chain. Uh, it kind of follows this like uh, this law that technology does, right? It distributes what's available to the very few, to the very, to the many. And um, these tools becoming available to the many, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about the, the creator economy. And, you know, like, like you mentioned, uh, influencer to creator. Like, what does that look like? Like, is this platform acknowledged? Um, or is it built on top of a platform? So is it you're only a creator if you're on TikTok or, or, or like <laughs> LinkedIn or like Instagram or these big platforms where everyone integrates? Or do you see like small uh, niche platforms, uh, you know, Discord channels, becoming a creator in a Discord channel? Uh, <laughs> you know, what does, that, what does that look like? What does it mean to be a creator? Ultimately, creator is like creating, right? Mm. <laughs> so yeah. are, are you just copy pasting information? Are you just posting it because you want to make some money? Or do you love creating and you align mm. those goals 
with, with, you know, what you're doing. It's like people can work, right? And you can love your job. Like I'm sure yep. you probably love your job, right? Like you look like you enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but some people go in, go in day in, day out. They freaking hate their job, mm. right? So that's kind of the difference, you know, between an influencer or a content creator. Are you doing it for money or are you doing it for your passion? Are you putting your yeah. soul into it? Um, and that's, the, that's really the main difference. So uh, someone uh, told like, you know, uh, not someone it's on a podcast, but uh, I always uh, like I, I'm, I've been at home so much to listen to podcasts that it feels <laughs> like these are my friends now. Uh, but, you know, um, on a podcast, I was listening and, and I, you know, I heard what his great explanation is that uh, about the creator economy is creating um, it's a new renaissance, right? Like art and like uh, and, um, you know. Uh, artistic uh, kind of uh, creative abilities are now have being monetized, right? Uh, you know, and you know, you talk about the Renaissance, you talk about like you know, Italy back in the days, <laughs> and it's like it was all funded from like trade and stuff. Now the new trade is like on the internet, right? So now um, I think the main reason why you're going from influencers to creators is that people are looking to like, oh, I don't want to just create and put stuff on the on these social networks for free anymore, and then monetize uh, through ad dollars and like you know. Um, to these giant evaluations, how can I monetize? How can I build uh, a system like uh, Ready Player One, right? Like Ready Player One, if you guys are familiar with the movie or the book, yeah. it points to a world like where everyone kind of makes money through the internet, but like very dystopian because they're like gambling on, on games and stuff. Like dumb games sometimes <laughs> can influence how you're living and, and, your, and your monthly income. Um, you know, where do you think like... I, after Ready Player One, and uh, it's a, people, a lot of people recommend the book for me too. Like it kind of showcased, like you know, like imagine the days where like you're you got to dance on TikTok for money. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like that's like a legit way. Like just like you go get a job at McDonald's, uh, your entry into the creator economy is like you're doing dances as a teenager and getting getting an audience. Like I feel like we're like the, the, like we're slowly being shepherded to a new style of work, and. Yeah. You know, if someone from like 10, 20 years ago came and saw this, they're like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> right? Like, how are people being paid to talk or like just play games on Twitch, uh, you know, do dances on TikTok? Like, what's going on in this, in, the, in this economy? But how does that inflate more um, and change? Like, I, I'm really interested about this, right? Like, I have talked to about a few companies who come on about this and they're ready for player one situation. Yeah. What do you think? Are we heading toward a dystopian future where like we're dependent on algorithms? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can see like the, the TikTok blowing up, right? Yeah. YouTube Shorts is now blowing up, going really hard. Um, you know, Zuckerberg is constantly talking about the metaverse and what's going to mm. happen there. <laughs> um, I mean, VR is huge. Augmented reality is huge. We're definitely shifting to that creativity. Plus, mm. I mean, robotics is so advanced now. So many jobs are being taken, um, you know, through the automation um, and ultimately when, when jobs are taken, society shifts to create new jobs. Right. Yeah. And, and I believe this is like the natural order of things, you know, things are getting automated. So now the content creation is becoming so huge. I mean, you have those, uh, Boston dynamics robots, which are kind of, <laughs> kind of pretty creative, mm -hmm. but, uh, but are automated. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like, I think that's the future. It's going to really, really change. Everything is going to be digitized. Uh, we already see that even e-commerce, some of the biggest, you know, Disney just closed their branches all over, um, all over Canada, right? Mm. Like all their stores. And uh, I mean, Disney's really popular. 
uh, they have no problem with their money per se. Like Disney Plus is killing it. Like it's almost as big as Netflix. Yeah. But everything's just shifting online. Like e-commerce shifting online, and the biggest companies in the world are shifting. Um, so it's just happening at every at every touch point of, of a human's life. I think. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy too because right now it's like kind of the biggest the best time to be on social media. Yeah. Cause I remember I used to make YouTube videos back in high school and I remember, I remember I'm like, I'm going to be the next, you know, YouTuber, get a million subscribers. But back mm-hmm. then, I guess you can think of it like it was, you could think of it as, as two ways. It was easier because there was less competition, but at the same time, not many people were on like YouTube and stuff. Same as like Instagram, like, like there's not many people on Instagram and then mm-hmm. I look at TikTok, TikTok's just blowing up. And if you look at it now, it's like you have kids who are 10 years old. They post a few videos on TikTok and all of a sudden <laughs> they have, you know, a hundred thousand, 200,000 followers. So it's like, now is like the prime time. If you really want to go out, sure. There's competition, but at the same time, it's never been easier to get followers, get views, get whatever you can go out and, <laughs> You know, find like for example, like TikTok. I remember I posted a, like a few right when it right when the boom kind of started, and it could be the stupidest video, and it would get you like a thousand views in like an hour. And like now it's a little less because I guess more people are on the platform. But at the same time, if your video gets shared and like the algorithm picks it up, you can easily like a video today, tomorrow could have like a few million views. Yeah. And that's the craziest part about social media is mm-hmm. everyone and like their grandma right now is using TikTok <laughs> and like every single person's on social media. So it's not like, you know, 50% of brands aren't using it. Like everyone's online. If you want to, if you have a product or something, the first thing you do is you go online, you check out reviews, you read reviews. So it's everything is just going to online and social media. So that's like, I guess the, beautiful thing so if you have a guys have a business whoever's listening or you want to start a personal brand like get on social media now because it's like the prime time to be on social media i love that because like most people are feeling like it's past them like oh everyone's already has all the followers everyone's already created all the attention like i gotta fight against all of this uh i think it's about also finding a platform right like there's so many different types of platforms it's not just like oh uh, jumping on tiktok or instagram there's so many of these like like niche things coming up right like one of the things i i'm so envious of my younger cousins for is twitch you know (laughs) Like uh, one, of, one of my guys is 21 and he's getting paid. Like he's got enough subscribers. He's getting $400 a month to play uh, a Call of Duty. <laughs> I remember being 21 and being addicted to video games. No one's paying me. You know, like I'm like, why have I, how have I missed out on this? I mean, that's one of the coolest things now. It's like, you know, if you can create content uh, around uh, even your uh, obsessions, right? Even your, your time sinks, uh, you can figure out a way to, uh, you know, uh, to, to monetize a different type of lifestyle. I remember like back then, like I was big on YouTube and I mm. remember people like were like, you know, making these, like a big deal. I got a million subscribers and yeah. now it's like, there's so many people with like 10 million, 20, I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. Yeah, It's like yeah. everyone's online. And I know I'll tell a little story. I used to follow this guy called Christian Guzman. I don't know if you know about him. Mm. He was a fitness influencer. Oh, he okay. still is. Yeah. And 
I followed him from like the day he almost started his channel mm -hmm. on YouTube. So he was just making like these podcast videos, vlogs. Eventually he started selling a personal, what was it? Personal training, which was really cool. And he started getting money from that. And, but like, we didn't really know back then. Cause it's like, Oh cool. He has a few thousand views. Next thing you know, he was selling t-shirts. And then after mm -hmm. he pulls up one day on a YouTube video, he buys a new BMW M4. So I'm like, how did he, like, he just started YouTube. Mm. Next thing you know, he has a gym. He bought a warehouse and he put a gym. Now um, he made this company called Alphalete and he's massive on Instagram, has I think like over a million followers. YouTube is blowing up. Uh, Instagram's blowing up. Like he's like one of the most well-known people in the industry. And right now he's building like this massive, it's called Alpha Land. Mm. So he's building this massive place in Texas, which he's still, if you look him up, it's kind of cool. But the crazy part is he started off from YouTube mm. and YouTube built him pretty much everything from the ground up. And like, if you, if you would, he stuck with it, mm -hmm. built out his Instagram, built out connections. And that's the crazy part that I guess what people don't understand is like, if you stick with YouTube or you pick a platform that you want to dominate in Instagram or TikTok, you don't know like where you could be in a year from now. People just look at short term goals and like, oh, I didn't get any views on the last five videos. Yeah, but these people have, you know, 5000 videos. So it's kind of thinking big, bigger and, you know, really going at it because you can really blow up on social media these days and it's only going to get the as the years go on it's just going to get more and more views and more people are going to be on social media yeah and so one of the things that we think about uh, you know being like a media company uh, delivering podcasts is like what is the next iteration of media you know like how social media changed media like there was there's a, you know, TV, there's a radio, there's different platforms. And then suddenly social media became a good thing where everything was like shareable and bite-sized. You know, what does the next iteration look like? You know, as, uh, as anyone thought, uh, looked into that, is there anything new coming up? Is it, do you think it's VR? Is it Zuckerberg's metaverse? What is that? <laughs> Ad math. <laughs> Everybody can make money, not just the influencers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but like, honestly, like I do think that's the future because, uh, again, I have little cousins, too, and little nephews, and they're all loving and they want to be an influencer. But, you know, uh, the odds are still pretty small. And, and while mm. some people, you know, become the, the top influencers in the world, um, the odds of that are always going to be small. It's just how society is built. And we have over four billion people now, over half a billion people joined last year into social media. The majority of them don't have a thousand followers. And that's why I think the emergency of, of platforms like AdMass, like that is the future. Everybody can make money. Everybody can promote. Um, I think AR, VR is going to be absolutely huge. Uh, the whole metaverse is just going to push that one step further. So yeah. somehow this, this whole influencer and creator industry is going to shift into the metaverse. Um, it's going to take time. I mean, just like everything, technology has to adapt. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, influencers, what is an influencer? Influencer mm -hmm. is somebody who influences other people's decisions. Why does it have to be somebody who influences a million decisions? Why mm. can't it be a hundred decisions? Right. Um, so I, I think it's just all going to shift into other new technologies that emerge and, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the metaverse. I know I keep talking about it. <laughs> I'm actually excited to see where that's going to go.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's really cool because, like, since like Zuckerberg talked about the metaverse, it became like a different phenomenon. Like, it became like a more of a uh, of a regular word. Um, have you have you guys looked into this? What does this mean? What does the metaverse mean? Um, it's like so. It's not just Zuckerberg, right? Like, yeah. It's you know, Microsoft is working. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, man, what is it called? Do you remember what that's called? It's like the Hololens or something. Yeah. I yeah. think it's called right. So medicine is shifting there. Uh, the army is already using it. Like, obviously, the people have more money to invest in it, but now it's becoming more personalized. Um, and at that point, it's going to just create an in like a, a whole kind of universe that's uh, combined. And like, hopefully, these companies work together. Mm. Um, because a lot of them already work on augmented reality and virtual reality ads. So it could be you walk into, you know, I imagine this world, right? You walk in, you have your shopping malls, you can try on whatever, you know, clothes, shoes, whatever it is into that shopping mall. It's all virtual reality. Some of the biggest brands are, you know, kind of in there, you know, whatever from Louis Vuitton to Walmart, um, and then, you know, you have your gaming center, you go in there, you got, you know, your PlayStation, you got your Microsoft Xbox, like you got all of that. And then you go into, you know, your networking, uh, your social media rooms, and then you got your Facebook friends, you got your Instagram friends, right? Like it's going to take time to evolve. And it was going to take a lot of, you know, the big players to, to work together on this instead of trying to create their own little mini universes and dominant, dominate everything. But it, I feel like it's going to be the next World Wide Web turn virtual like virtual reality right so same like ai and all that my favorite <laughs> thing is i guess you've probably seen it already but the amazon's building it that you mm -hmm. can just walk into a store you grab your product and you just run out yep and it already charges your card so it's like you know you don't have to stand in line you can just honestly just walk in grab a water and just walk right out and how fast is that like right now yeah. i think the biggest change is speed mm. Even if you go to the store now, like it's like half of them is all self checkout now because it's a speed, b it's I don't know, b is cheaper for the company. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot cheaper to not have cashiers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, you know, like if I'd rather go to like by myself if I have like two items, like I don't want to talk to anyone. For example, I'd rather just go scan my two items, scan my card, and I'm out. Like I'll be faster than like the cashier before you know you yeah. put the items on the belt and the, <laughs> but that's like, I, I guess that's like the future is AI VR and the world's really shifting to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking about that. Like, uh, I, I've heard this term that's, uh, I fixated on this. It's like, uh, we're seeing the rise of like the third platform. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So not just web 3.0, but the third platform. So the first platform was uh human to a machine where it's like one to one, like one human deal with one machine. And, uh, it, it, you know, that's the interfacing, like the old mainframe computer and stuff. Second platform was, is, is World Wide web is, uh, you know, many machines interact with many humans, but it's a, it's a marketplace, right? The humans working with, with on, on top of the, mar uh, the machine economy. And the third platform is machine to machine. Yeah. Where machines are going to talk to each other and make decisions on behalf of humans without their involvement necessarily. So, for instance, like it's like you know a, a machine that knows uh, like you know paying attention to like all your emails and what's going on around you, all the kind of stuff, just making decisions, right? <laughs> And I think that's going to be like uh, really uh, like a, a weird kind of phenomenon because decisions are, are being automated away from you and you're going to be live more in this like, like algorithm, uh, like, you know, run by algorithms, right? Have you guys read, read, uh, watched um, the, the social um, dilemma on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the things I think Admas is uh, is is working uh, is is working uh, within that kind of thing, right? Like you're allowing people to integrate directly with brands uh, in, in a digital kind of kind of world. It's like, how can I share my experience, but also involve the brand in it, and also involve the user? Um, people want to be experiential now, right? They want to have experiences and share experiences with the brands they consume and spend money with. They don't necessarily want to just pay and walk away. So I, I love that dynamic that you guys add to that relationship thanks and that is kind of kind of the goal like everybody can do it you know and leveraging that whole machine talk to machine with our ai and yeah. <laughs> you know kind of be ahead of the curve and yeah it's like the create like the creators are happy because they get a coupon code for their next you know coffee drink or whatever yeah but the brands are happy because hey you just marketed to you know all their followers but also we're using the ai that makes sure that like it makes sure that they're getting that post like it's mm-hmm. like a true post. it's not like a fake post or anything so brands are happy because it's a uh, you know everything's good to go and creators are happy because now they just get 50 percent off their next drink yep uh, plus people who see that stuff are happy because uh, they get decisions taken away from them like they're <laughs> people that they follow uh recommend this why not why don't i try that instead of just going to google and trying to find out figure out you know of the 50 things around me what to get right or like go on doordash trying to figure out what to get right if someone is recommending it that i'm following and listening to their content uh, i'm engaging with the, their social profiles it's like oh cool i'll try that new thing right that's that's even like even if you look online, like let's say nearest pizza near me or mm. my recent thing is chicken souvlaki. Mm-hmm. But like you type that in around you, you maybe have like the like the big brands, but mm-hmm. I don't want the big brands because it's, I, I'd rather go to like a more, I like the more like local shops, yep. but most of them aren't either A, on social media, which now you can't find them unless someone directly refers you. But at the same time is, if someone has one review and it's bad, now you don't want to go there. Or if someone has five good reviews, you're like, but it's only five reviews compared to someone who has 200. But if a friend directly refers you there, which is like what we're building at AdMass, you want to go there. If, they, like, if your friend says this place is amazing, like you have to try, mm-hmm. the chances of you actually going to that place is like a hundred times greater than like, you know, you're just looking on Google and now you're judging the company based off like name or whatever. And like the one review that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing that uh, I, I think is also worth mentioning is how, um, you know, it, it is a lion's lair component uh, going to this pitch competition uh, before our time's up here. Can you talk, talk a little more about that experience and uh, how that's been? It's been great. <laughs> um, it's a good experience. I mean, I mean the pitching, the, the networking opportunities, we've met such great people. And um, I think it really helps validate to our business. Um, there has been, there. I mean, some things have been a struggle. It's, it's tough. Somebody, you know, you work on your baby, your business for so long, you've iterated it, you've improved it. You think, okay, so many people have said good things. And then somebody comes along, rips it a new one basically, mm. and says everything that's wrong with it. But then, you know, the challenge is there. You step back, you think about it, you hear that. And thanks to this line layer competition, we've been able to get so many mentors through the innovation factory, through the forge that are helping us, you know, finesse our pitch. Um, 
we've been able to really refine through that pitch, not just mm -hmm. our pitching capability, but also our business model, our UVP, like everything, yeah. financials, yeah. like everything you can think of. Um, and I mean, we're excited. It's going to be cool. Like next, it's actually next week, next Wednesday is the filming. Um, so it's going to be, you know, really interesting to see it. Uh, it's great being one of the finalists. I mean, it's a great honor. And but one of the most valuable, heck, we hope we win that too. <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, but ultimately, I think the most valuable experience was all the mentorship, the networking, the connections that we got. Um, a few of those companies are actually now becoming our customers because they saw Adam as they're like, okay, it's perfect for our startup too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been absolutely a great, I mean, anybody who doesn't apply to it, I think is missing out. Like everybody should at least try to become a finalist in the lines layer. And then, yeah. Really cool. Um, I, I love how pitch competitions, uh, you know, uh, it does exactly talked about, stretch you out, test you and help you validate your ideas better. Um, yeah. Guys, this has been a really cool conversation. I, I loved, uh, you know, where we took it. We kind of spun it in a few different directions. Uh, but <laughs> awesome. thanks so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Hope yeah. to see you again. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, come back in a, in a few months. Tell us how you did and, and uh, give us an update. Uh, love to see how, how this thing uh, performs, uh, both in the pitch competition and uh, in the market. Um, other than that, just stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who stuck around, thank you for watching.